chapter number six. We'll start with the verse there, then go to chapter seven. But I want to spend time with you in a few of the remaining chapters in the book of Nehemiah. It's been a good week here at Salem. We thank the Lord for his blessings. And uh, uh, I had the privilege this week of uh, going out. Terry gave me a tour of the campground out there at Marywood. I've been there before, been a long time ago. And, uh, but I tell you, what a, what a glorious ministry. And uh, from the history and the stories, I was uh, heading out uh, the other day, heading that way, and one of our members talked about a couple of their children were saved out there as I was driving out there. Then I heard so many other stories and thank the Lord for that. What a blessing. And then I was here Thursday at 9 o'clock in the morning and in the evening, our, our Christian school uh, had a Christmas program here. I'll tell you what, I had revival in that elementary program. I really did. I'm serious. And uh, that last song they sang, I'd never heard it before. It's a blessing just in that alone. But the, the doctrine and the praise to the Lord, those elementary children sang, just, just uh, brought joy to my heart and uh, a reverence to our Lord. The whole uh, program was wonderful, the evening as well. And uh, so what a blessing to have the Christian school right here in this auditorium and uh, part of our church. Thank the Lord for that. I heard the best news this week of all, though, that uh, some of our members who are very instrumental in leading some people to Christ this week, and I'm thankful for that, and some adult people, and perhaps we'll hear more about that at another time, but what a blessing to my heart to hear that the, the members, the ministry of the church is long lived by fulfilling the mission of the gospel and uh, being witnesses to people who need the word. And uh, what a good story. Thank the Lord for that. Well, we've been on a journey in Nehemiah for four weeks. And uh, a little bit despairing seems like these first four lessons when you go through chapter number six. Let's read if we can in verse number 15. We closed with this verse uh, when they came to a place of completion and uh, the conquest of the revitalization. Verse number 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Turn a page over to chapter 7 and the last verse, verse number 73, and this is where we are. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Nethanim, and all Israel, notice that, all Israel dwell in their cities. They're back in place, in a place where God had designed them long ago, and getting ready to perform the things that God asked of them a long time ago as well. We'll see that in just a moment. I, I, give me just about 90 seconds to give you a review of these last four Sundays. Can I do that? Chapter 1, we noticed the condition for revival or revitalization, the brokenness in verse number 3, the distress and the reproach that was in Jerusalem because the walls had been laying for many, many years. Nehemiah noticed this from 800 miles away when he heard the word and about that condition. It brought him to a place of crying and his confession for revival. He prayed not only for himself, but he prayed for his people back a long ways away. And uh, he was confessing of their own sins to, to God the Father. That was a connection toward revival that is so needed and the time of confession and repentance. Then he began gathering from the outside some connections for this journey 
in uh, chapter number two, you began his conversation with the king and the queen and with Asaph, the forest keeper, and knew he was going to have conversation with the governors as he traveled from his location back over to Jerusalem and had conversation with them. And then he had other men that were, uh, he was speaking to about what the Lord had put in his heart and the journey he was going to prospect and go forward to. That's when you come into chapter 2 and you also see the latter part. There was connections not only from the outside, he began making connections on the inside. He rallied the people. Some of them went with him. Just a group of people began to do some prospecting, inspecting these walls. They viewed the walls, verse 13 of chapter 2. Verse 15, they viewed the walls. Very close view of, of the picture that laid in waste there in round Jerusalem. And from that, he encourages the people as, a, as just a layman of this place to rise up and to build. And so they did. And so they began to build this wall. So he had a consensus of the people to see the real condition they were in and a desire that he was being used as by way of an influence. That's all he was. He wasn't a priest and he wasn't a Levite. He wasn't even a citizen of Jerusalem. From his influence coming back in, the people began to listen to his words and his heartbeat that they could rise up and build this wall after these walls had been ruined for nearly 150 years. And then we noticed the conquest that was there, that they ended up performing in their conquest and, uh, and all that they did there, the repairing and the replacing, the removing, we went through all of that last week. And finally, it was rebuilt and was restored. And I tell you, uh, if, if Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 was the end of the book, we'd get a good picture of this story here. But it goes on several more chapters to chapter number 13 and begins to show the, the continuation of this beginning place of being revived and revitalized, coming back to life. And it's the very things, it's like a full restoration, a full circle from what they were chosen and called to be and to perform, now they are doing it with great power. All the people together are doing it. It's a, it's, man, it's a revival going on in Jerusalem. And what I want to happen this morning is my prayer, and I've been praying, that these few chapters here will speak to the members of our church here today. You can be encouraged. God wants to revitalize a church. God wants to revive the people. God wants His glory to be exalted. And so what you see here, and there are many places in Scripture, though we're going through this one book alone, but just this picture and this pattern, and see if you can find some application. When you think about a church getting to the place God wants her to be, doing the things that God wants her to do, after all the brokenness and the difficulty and, and the recent failures and the, and, the, and the division among the people and all of the discouragement, God used the people to perform something that he desired. And now he gives them a responsibility that is theirs. And notice as it's introduced to them what happens. And I call this the continuance of revitalization. Number one, go to chapter number eight, if you will. And you'll see first thing that happened is they began to continue in the word. They continued in the word. Look in chapter eight and verse number one. All the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, 
which the Lord had commanded Israel. I like it, first of all, there's good application here, isn't there, for church, church attendance. They gathered together. They gathered together. And you'll find that taught beautifully in the New Testament, the real application for the church, where we assemble ourselves together. And we don't forsake the assembling together. We, we come together. And there's something that happens when the church comes together. One of the most important things is the elevation of His Word. And so they gathered together and had the Word brought back. It had been absent. It probably was present, probably stored somewhere. Notice Ezra had already turned 15 years before, and he began introducing some of these things once again. Nehemiah wasn't the first. It had been mentioned for 15 years, but the walls continued to lay in ruin, and a lot of people were absent, and many people were out of the city. And now they're gathering together, and the Word is presented. This is the continuance of them finishing the wall and being together from chapter 7, verse 73, and completing the wall in chapter 6, verse number 15. Notice something about the Word. They gathered together. They were unified as one man in the street. So the Word is returned. But notice what they did with it. Look in verse number 2, with the Word of God. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Let me give you five things real quick they did with the Word. They brought it. Bring the Bible. They brought the Bible. They were gathered together. What's the application there, maybe? Pretty simple, isn't it? Bring your Bible when you come to church. We're going to gather together and use the Scriptures. They, they, he brought the Word for all to see and to hear and to read. So they brought the Word. Number two, and by the way, a worship service without the Word ain't much of a worship service. And a message or a sermon without the Word ain't much of a message either. Not at all. It's the high exaltation of the Scriptures the Word, to rightly divide it, to preach it and teach it. And notice how it was presented. When it was brought together, number two, verse number five, they opened the Word. Verse number five, they stood up when the Word was read. This is the place where you probably would lean on if you've ever been to church and the preacher said, now everybody stand in honor of the Word. They go to Nehemiah chapter Number nine and verse number five is where they get that from. They stood and read while the word was read of Ezra. And so they opened the book, and now they are standing and opening, and all the people stood up and heard the word when it was read. Verse number three and verse number seven, they read the scriptures. Ezra read the scriptures. And then in verse number 2, verse number 3, and verse number 8, and verse 13, notice what they did with the Scriptures. It's what the people needed. They needed explanation. They needed the priest to explain so they could have an understanding about the Bible. Now, you really want to know what good preaching is. It's that right there. Matter of fact, it says that he caused them to have the sense of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the words, the commands of God that were given to Moses. They could get it. I can see it. 
I can see them going through those Ten Commandments, can you? And, and by the way, they're taking a long time doing it. They're standing for four hours. I can see Ezra reading, and all of a sudden, the scribes and the priests, or excuse me, the, the, the Levites, they, they stopped. And now, now, y'all explain to these people what these verses mean. And they go into conversation explaining and expounding the Word and the Scriptures. I love that. By the way, I hope you love that kind of preaching. I hope you love that type of a Bible sermon where the Word is given and the preacher is able to help you in its explanation. By the way, that's the quality of a teacher, being able to clearly give explanation to those that are listening. And I like it in a small group setting or in a classroom somewhere where you can have a dialogue with a student that begin asking questions back for further explanations, and you begin teaching. I like it when a daddy and mama sit down with their kids and do that too. I love that. Man, that's wonderful. I love it when I walk in a restaurant somewhere and I can see some brothers got their Bible open on that table at McDonald's. And what it is, walking in the Word, sharing the Word. I, I, I like that. There's a group of men do this down at Daryl's every Wednesday morning. If you want to sneak in there, my friend Stu Upperson does that. And uh, he's just walking through the Word. It's called Wednesday in the Word. And they just have I, I, I just like it. When the Word's not only read, but it's explained for people can understand the Bible. The Bible. And so good is it. Uh, how wonderful it is when they continue in observation of the Word. And then number two, look in the next chapter. This is the continuance of the revival. What God designed from the beginning. The Word being reinstituted in a proper place. And then there's several passages. I'm just going to give you these three verses in chapter 9, excuse me, uh, uh, chapter 9 and verses 1 to 3, put down the word repentance. There was repentance. 28 days later, or 23 days later, after reading the Scriptures. Now, they've been gathering perhaps on a daily basis, at least many of them, and throughout this month of evil. And so on the 24th day, of the month from reading this scripture on a continual basis, you know what? It began to, what I see in the Bible, make sense to them. You read those passages where they, it calls them, it, the words understanding in the chapter 8, the word sense is there, calls them to, to get the explanation down. And as they were getting the word to them, it brought forth some repentance. I believe that about the Bible. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing from the Word or by the Word of God. No one can ever be saved apart from His Word. Your testimony won't do it. Your good deeds won't do it. But it's the Word, the Word of God that generates, produces, and creates faith within us. You'll find that in Acts chapter 2. They heard the Word. They received the Word. And then they believed, there's their faith, they believed the Word. When you get the Word inside of you, not outside, not just bring it and not just open it and not just reading it, but going even further to assimilate it with great understanding what God has spoken, it'll change you. Be careful. You want God to change you? He uses His Word to change us. 
It will change you. It will cause you to a place. We use the word repentance. That's, uh, it's defined like, like maybe like a change of our mind. It's a direction. And really, I believe personally, by way of theology, that when a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, don't use the word repentance. No, 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 no. You're changing what you believed before or didn't believe. Something changed in your mind and heart. Some perception that came from the word that you didn't agree with or have knowledge of before came upon you and you received it. And all of a sudden, your agreement, you changed what you thought previously. It brings them to repentance. They're fasting in verse number one. They're bowing before the Lord. Verse number one, two, they're confessing their sins. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? but by taking heed according to his word. The word of God brings you to confession, a revelation, a realization as to the real condition that you are in. And when you look at it, you don't like it. You don't want it. Your desire becomes to to something more like his word and what he's introduced to you by his favor and his choosing you and calling you to salvation and bringing you to salvation, the introduction of his word. He who covers his sins will not prosper, Proverbs 28, 13, but he who confesses and forsakes him shall find his mercy. They had already heard his words back in Deuteronomy, Moses, the commandment of his words. And, uh, and also in, in Daniel chapter 9, it talks about we have sinned and we've done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. So while they're hearing the commands that were given to Moses being read and explained, they put themselves in that picture and saw how much they violated it. And it caused them to humble themselves through confessional ways before God and admit that I'm a sinner. And they confess their real condition before God. And from that brought them to number three. And that's the rest of this chapter. In chapter nine, a worship that's explained or expressed through a prayer to God. Notice this prayer. It's a prayer of praise. It's a prayer of remembrance of God. They'd lost that remembrance. Matter of fact, the last verse in Nehemiah talks about, oh God, remember, remember, remember me. And now he could pray that because he had taken the people back to the remembrance of God. And he causes them in this prayer and that, that, that is prayed, and that is a prayer of remembrance. It's a prayer of confession you'll see in this passage. It's a prayer from all of that, from their hearing the word, chapter 8, repenting, confessing of the sins, and then beginning to elevate themselves in the honor of who God is and esteem me. They'd heard all these things from Moses. And now they're led in prayer by several of the priests in this prayer and brings them to a place of confession and the last three verses, a place where they actually make a commitment. Let me tell you something. When you get revived and when a church gets revived or revitalized, she's going to walk through the same steps. It's a return to what God has spoken. We've seen our real condition. It causes a repentance for God to move upon us. But it takes the condition of the people. It's conditional. God has the promise that he will revive and he will hear and he will heal. But it's conditional upon the people. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people do all the humble self praise, seek my face, turn my wicked ways, then I'll do something. I'll, f- I'll fulfill my promise, you see. 
The if, the if is the conditional. And they meet all the conditions of the Lord throughout this prayer. And I love it. I noticed in chapter 8 that when they read the word, that they stood. I think, and I'm not sure, that this is the longest prayer in the Bible, verse 5 down to verse number 38. I'm going to ask Sister Darlene to come up, if you will, please. I heard her quote some scripture on Thanksgiving evening, and I was thinking, well, who could do this for her? And I, uh, I thought about Darlene. I want us to stand together, and I want us to read together. Picture this this, 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 this scene here, uh, 2,500 years ago, this scene, this prayer, we're about to read here at the end of 2023 in Salem Baptist Church. Can you put yourself in this picture? Can you imagine God reviving a church and saying this about her God? Let's go through this passage. I'm going to let Darlene read aloud to us. You follow along, along. I believe the words will be on the screen as well. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself. It is to this day, and you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. 
but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand, that they might do with them as they would. They captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who gave, made them suffer. In the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they rest, they did evil again before you. You abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all the people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. 
Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom, amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all of this, we have a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Thank you. You may be seated. Wonderful. That's the good word of God. I hope you didn't tire after about 10 minutes of standing. These people have stood for four hours going through the Old Testament scriptures. Thank you for that. Did you notice they're remembering the Lord all the way through that passage and their confession leading to their commitment, wanting to establish a covenant with the Lord for that? Well, that's not the end of it. Go to chapter 12. Let's look at a couple more things. Actually, you can actually go into chapter 11 and see this, but I'm going to skip over this passage and go to chapter 12 because of our time. They began to enter into times of true worship and tremendous joy. Uh, notice, if you will, uh, verse number 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing and with cymbals and stringed instruments. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites. And then notice verse 29, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Uh, if you were a singer, you'd be part of these villages. They knew who they were. Verse 31, they appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. After them went Hoshiah and the half of the leaders of Judah. And then you'll find verse number uh, 36 with musical instruments of David, the man of God, Ezra the scribe, also went before them. There's the other Thanksgiving choir, verse number 38. They went the opposite way as the first choir. And I was behind them with half the people on the wall going over to the tower of Ovens as, uh, as far as the broad wall. So, verse number 40, the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me. Verse 30, 43, rather. Also on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Nehemiah had done his best to introduce God's joy back in chapter number uh, uh, 8 when it talks about the joy of the Lord uh, being their strength. And now coming through the desired heart 
of confessional sins that brought them to a commitment in creating covenants. And they're now singing corporately together. And uh, the singers have gathered in in these times of meeting together. And there's such great joy and great thanksgiving with all these people. And so as they come together, there was great rejoicing in this place because of their worship and joy. Go to chapter 12. We're finishing quickly here. Look in verse number 44. Something else that's, that's denoted or noted about revitalization is the purpose of their giving or the way that they perform it, their giving and bringing their offerings. It's mentioned in verse 44 down to chapter 13 and verse number 5. Notice verse 44, chapter 12. At the same time, some were pointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings. There was offerings being, being brought for inside the storehouses. They knew something about the storehouse. They knew something also about the first fruits and the tithes. They had heard about that in years past. To gather them from the fields of the cities, the portion specified by the law for the priests, the Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who administered. The singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of this purification. Notice that the uh, verse number 47, the latter part, they also consecrated holy things for the Levites. And uh, as you go into chapter 13, let's just look at verse number five for sake of time. It says they had prepared him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priest. They brought their offerings. They brought their tithes. They stored their first fruits. They gave portions. They were used to those that were leading in the worship. The singers got a portion of it. The Levites, we know from the Old Testament earlier, the priests would also get a portion of that which was brought. The, all the grain that was stored and it was spread among the workers and the staff people, so to speak, uh, that were leading the church in continuing the revitalization through the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, the praying of the word, uh, leading people to reconciliation, repentance, and now into praising and singing. And so uh, it was required of the people, do what God had spoken earlier in the Old Testament, in the previous, in the Pentateuch, and to bring the tithes and bring them forward and have the first fruits. And so uh, they were renewing that which was broken down and now in full restoration. And then the latter part of chapter 13, won't get into this, but you begin to see the cleansing that takes place. It's continued as well. Verses 22 to 30 talks several places where the cleansing had taken place. It talks about cleansing yourself in verse number 22. And uh, I mentioned a verse a while ago from the psalmist, chapter 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, uh, taking heed according to the word. The priests were cleansing as well, if you find in verse number 28 down to verse number 30. And that was something they knew about in the presentation in the, in the, in the tabernacle and uh, of the washing of themselves before they made the presentation to God. There was a cleansing. And so all of this is being restored in these Old Testament times. That's where we are in the Old Testament, being restored what God had designed from a long, long, long time ago. And the latter verse of the book, and bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times, remember me, O my God, for the good. Do you see the complete restoration of Jerusalem at this point? From their brokenness in chapter 1, their distress and their reproach, 
to their unconfessed sins, not realize that they were the cause of their condition. It wasn't their brother nor the sister. It was, it was me, O oh Lord. They looked inside and Nehemiah helped them to see the real condition. We have failed God, the latter part of chapter number one. We have violated his word. We've not kept his commandments and the ru- ruined walls. That's why all the judgments were taking place in the Old Testament. And the, and, the, and the other nations were taking control of Jerusalem and Israel and, and the wars and the battles that took place and the, and the difficulty, the hardness of the people's heart. Moses saw it in the book of Exodus, the hardness of their heart. They're brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, and all of a sudden they go into the wilderness and a bunch of complainers rise up and don't like what God was doing, didn't recognize the God of glory. God got angry. And God dealt with them all the way through these books of our Bible. But when you come to Nehemiah, you find them coming back to God into Jerusalem, the place that was given to them, designed for them to know God, to walk with him, to keep his commandments, and to keep his word. What would be an application? Can I just give you a couple little ideas? Uh, You can close your Bible right now. I'm just going to talk to you for a moment, okay? You've got the story. You've got the good word. What would be the application? Can you imagine... Can you imagine if revival swept the congregation of this church, what it would look like? Can you imagine? Y'all want to talk about it? Raise your hand. Yeah, you do. You want to talk about it a minute? I'm going to talk to you about two minutes about what it looks like. What it, just imagine a church being revitalized, restored to the place God wants the church to be. Doing the things God wants y'all to be doing. Stopping the things you shouldn't be doing. And getting on the mission. Here's what it looks like. And we go more in the New Testament to really define this a little bit better. But imagine a church experienced revival. Can you see how the glory of God is abounding throughout the congregation because of that? God who had designed it is now seeing his people fulfilling it in their obedience to what he has spoken and all that's happening is God is getting his glory in the church by Christ Jesus. You read the first three chapters of Ephesians, you see that, and it closes a summation of chapter 3, verse 21. To him be glory in the church now and forever. Amen. The glory of God is permeated when a church has turned back to doing and being the people God designs her to be. Something else, the mission of the gospel is being accomplished. Go to all the world and preach the gospel. You shall be witnesses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Spirit comes upon you, beginning at home and then scattering throughout the world. Go make disciples, Matthew chapter 20. Go teach them, make disciples, baptize them, lead them to their identity, and continually teach them, observing all the things that I've spoken to you. Not only that, discipleship's being multiplied teaching the word constantly and continually. From the day you heard it to your last dying day, you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ by the exaltation of his word, God who is being glorified, his spirit is being moved upon you. The fullness of the spirit is present in the congregation and disciples are being made constantly. Disciple makers being trained and raised and people are continually being discipled from the outside and throughout the inside. Worship is all about him, and people get it. We come on Sunday morning to worship, not just the assembling 
or the gathering or the fellowshipping, but it's the worshiping all about Him. There's joy and there's praise and thanksgiving. That's a church that understands the Word and has been restored to that position. Offerings are being received. You see that in this passage. Yes, they are. Offerings being received, but here's how they're being received. They're, they're, they're given liberally and joyfully and not grudgingly and not because the church has got some needs and they're in a deficit. They're just given abundantly, whether it has deficit or no deficit. Just giving, giving the first fruits, giving the tithes and giving the offerings. And what happens? The financial side of the church is abounding concerning the church and its members. You'll find them understanding what giving is about. And every need is met and beyond to be able to be able to take care of the desires that God places in the heart of the congregation to fulfill. Offerings are given and offerings received and used for God's glory. Something else. The Word continues to be elevated. The Bible it's elevated. It's elevated in your personal life. It's elevated in your family. It ain't the only place we talk about the Word inside these buildings. Man, we start talking. Man, can you imagine talking about the Bible outside these buildings to other people? Man, it's being permeated in the community, and it's just the Word. It's all about the Word and the recognition of His Word. You, you begin making decisions based on the Word. That's something you haven't done in a while, isn't it? You begin getting real discernment. You become, you be, all of a sudden, you, you, you get wiser in your life. Why? Could it be that the Word of God's got a hold of you? you got a hold of the Word. makes you wiser. It, it gives you the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. You get understanding. You get wisdom. You get knowledge. You get discretion. Man, you are growing in the Word. Can you imagine a church? Here's what it looks like when they're fully restored. The Word of God is elevated to a place concerning our responsibility and our reverence of the Lord. I know what most people like. They usually like this one first. They like to see the church growing. Well, you know what? It happens too. It's not, it's not, it's just really a byproduct of all the above things. It's growing. It's missly. You, you get the desire to want to, want to, want to go out and make disciples to other parts of the world, the community. Uh, missions focus has a different perspective. Maybe you've had for year after year after year, and God begins to see you be intentionally involved in the mission work of the church. Man, you think, you know, man, we planted churches all across the world. We ain't never planted one within 100 miles, Miss Church. Well, where'd we miss that one at, you know? And you begin to think, man, we can plant churches. And man, God could raise preachers and, and, and mission servants, and our congregation can be used to help. We've been revitalized, and God will use us to help revitalize areas where the mission gospel is not being preached. Confusion and conflicts and complications are minimized. And God the Father is glorified through the Son, by the Father, and because of the Holy Spirit. Y'all long for that kind of place? You long for these days? You long for the cry of these people that prayed in chapter number 9? The recognition of an almighty God. It reminds me of the model prayer the Lord gave to hallow His name. That's all they were doing for about 30 verses here. Blessing His name for who God is and for what He does and then making that commitment and covenant, Lord, together with thee, together with thee. That's all it is. So if you wonder what we're doing this year in the church, we're just going to get right with God and get the sin out of our lives. And we're going to run back to the scriptures to see what they say. And we're going to agree with God to obey them. And we're going to find what's best 
by way of God's design through plans and visionary actions inside the church that fits this congregation in such a way that all that happens, number one, is God is glorified and the Lord is well pleased. And the people, oh man, they edify themselves. Man, they're rejoicing and they're praising and they're thanking God. Why? Because they came to a place where they saw their condition and they rose up to do something about it. And God blessed their efforts. And so that's the journey. That's the call to revitalization. For your personal life, can you say this morning, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. Can you say that about your marriage? It's not right, is it? You can make it right. Your relationships, it ain't the sins of the flesh that bother you. You got sins in your spirit that are eating you up alive, angry, fearful, doubtful, mean. God's calling you home. God wants to see his people on fire, fully revitalized in observation of what his word has spoken to us. That's my call. And so can I say to you, you call me Pastor Nehemiah. <laughs> I want to encourage you. Y'all can do this. Listen. Let's go on this journey together so that God can have his way in the church. I wanted a copy, if we can. We read something a while ago from uh, Darlene's helping us read the scriptures. It says they had some choirs. Uh, here's what I'd like to do this morning. I've already had to, a little bit of preparation for this. I'm going to ask our if you're on any of our praise teams, would you step forward? And, uh, and then uh, if, if you sang in one of our choirs or sang in a choir, church choir in the past, you're welcome to join us. I'm looking for some singers. We're not going to have two choirs. We're just going to have one choir. Uh, how about some former choir members if you'd like to join us here? Uh, maybe the staff. Anybody else wants to come sing? We're going to sing a verse of How Great Thou Art. And this will be our benediction. A song of exaltation to the great God that he is. How great thou art. Anybody else want to just join together around the stairs here? Come on up if you will. And you'll need to mute my mic when we sing, okay? All righty. Now, if you can, if you can hear a tune of alto bass or soprano, whatever, ring that out. But really, let's just lift our hearts together, Lord, as singers this morning. Can we do that? On the first verse.
stand us, if you will. The words will be on the screen, that last verse. And we're going to sing this a cappella. Lift your voice, your heart to the Lord. And uh, then I'll close with a closing uh, verse in just a moment. Can we have the words? When Christ shall come, closing prayer this morning is from the word Nehemiah Ezra led in this prayer verse number five blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise you alone are the Lord you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host the earth and everything on it the seas and all that is in them you preserve them all the host of heaven worships you you are the Lord God. Accept our prayer. Receive our praise. Bless this dear church and these dear people with their great legacy, with the heart of the gospel, the mission of the gospel, that it might become fine-tuned towards your glory these next few weeks and months. Bless this journey with power and strength. Lord, revive and revitalize the church here at Salem, here on Broad Street is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, your son, who lovingly gave himself for us, in his name we pray, amen.